You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we come to our sermon text, which is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. 1 Timothy is all about life in the household of God. And in chapter 5, Paul gives Timothy further instructions for ministry in the church. So hear now these words of God. Paul writes to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Well, may God bless the reading and the preaching of God's word to us this morning. Well, when you buy a Lego set, it comes with instructions, doesn't it? And here are uh, the instructions that the Apostle Paul has for Timothy as he ministers in the church. And it divides into these two parts. You have these first two verses, which are all about just general instructions for Timothy's uh, uh, ministry in the church as the household of God, verses 1 and 2. But then the rest of it is all about uh, care for widows, verses 3 to 16. And you'll see the, the paragraph breaks into two sections. The first paragraph is mainly... Paul is talking about this household principle where it's the the duty of a household to look after its its own and its relatives. And then in the last paragraph, he's talking about um, mainly about those uh, widows who are to be cared for by the church, those enrolled on this list. And so we'll have a think about, well, what what is going on there with this this list? There's much food for us here as we uh, we live together as as the, the family of God. So we look at this this first part briefly. So uh, Paul starts with these general instructions about ministry in the church, verses 1 and 2. He says, do not rebuke an older man. And the word there is uh, really from 
from the verb to strike. Do not strike an older man with your words, but um, encourage him as you would a father, i.e. with great love, tenderness, and respect. And then he goes on, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So Timothy, in other words, is to carry out all his pastoral duties, remembering that the church is the household of God. It's the family of God. And that's why he had this, this family language, brothers, mothers, fathers, sisters. Um, and this is not just a nice metaphor that Paul is just dropping in at this point of his letter. It is because um, God, through Jesus Christ, is remaking the divided human race into one family. Through the gospel, we are united to Christ. We come to know God as Father, Christ is our older brother. Uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul is just tapping into what God is doing in the gospel, reuniting a divided human race into one community, one family. And how much we desperately need that gospel to go out uh, in our own age. And so you remember Perhaps how he, Paul wrote in, in Ephesians, talking about the, the Gentiles, those who were far off. He says, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Or Jesus' words, he said, uh, truly, I, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He's saying that if you come to Jesus Christ, you come to uh, God as Father, you come to a new family. And that's that uh, we see that throughout the gospel. So the church is the, the family of God and Timothy is to minister accordingly. He's to treat younger women as sisters, which doesn't mean he gets to be really annoying to them. Um, it means that, uh, well, Timothy, as an unmarried pastor, was there, and there wasn't to be even a hint of improper relationships with the young women in, in, in the church, with anyone in the church. Uh, but they were, they were nevertheless to be treated as sisters. It wasn't just to sort of stand a million miles away from them. There was to be a familial warmth to the relationships in the church. And I think that the modern church can go wrong with this. We can take all kinds of other models for church life from sort of the world of business or, or the sort of secular leadership or the sort of the, the young hipster pastor as the entrepreneur. You know, we, we import all kinds of ideas into the leadership of the church and forget actually what we're called to be is that the family of God with these familial relationships worked out. And that's very frequently through the New Testament. Think of Paul's language in Thessalonians as he's, he's talking how he was amongst the believers there, um, treat, sort of just loving them as a, as, a, a father cares, as a mother cares for her children, as a father encourages his own children, he was amongst them. So this language runs through uh, the New Testament, and Timothy is to minister accordingly. And then he moves on to this uh, long section in these two paragraphs about care for, uh, care for widows, for, for women who've lost their, their husbands. And so verse 3, look at it. Honour widows who are truly widows. And he explains in verse 4, uh, when he has this phrase, truly widows, he means those who don't have the support of families or extended families or any other means of support. But he says, honour them. Now, what do you notice about this language? Which commandment is he uh, echoing here? 
It's the commandment, honour your mother and father. That's what he's, he's tapping into when he's using this language of honour. Uh, we're reminded of the fifth commandment. And as we were thinking about the, the, the children's talk, this idea of um, honouring your parents includes the idea of their care and support. And when Jesus talks about the fifth commandment in Mark 7, he's rebuking people who are using high-sounded religious ideas to avoid financially contributing to their parents. So, so for Jesus, we see this idea of honour. Honouring your father and mother means actually supporting them, financially supporting them and caring for them or making sure that they are looked after. And so this, um, this command here is, is sort of a, an application. These two paragraphs really is an extended application of the fifth commandment, an extension of honour your mother and father. So he's just said, uh, treat older women uh, as mothers. Well, how do you treat mothers? Well, honour your father and mother. So this, this care of widows is to be an extension of the, the principle which is laid out in the, in the, in the fifth commandment that, that Paul expounds at various points. And so um, this care for, for widows and, and the fatherless is just is rooted in biblical law. It's rooted in love God, love your neighbour. It's rooted in that. And you'll, it's, you can see it's seen throughout the Old Covenant, throughout the Old Testament. We see this, don't we? And, and Israel are frequently exhorted and encouraged and rebuked because of their failure to do this. So think of Isaiah 1.17, where um, we have these words, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause because they weren't doing it. And when Christ came, remember, he comes to correct oppression. He comes to correct this oppression. Remember the religious authorities at the time, they were making lengthy prayers and then ripping off the widows, devouring widows' home, homes, getting their hands on the property and the finances because they loved money. And Jesus comes to correct that. And then the, the early church, we see as the Spirit is poured out on high, one of the things which characterizes the early church is care for, care for, well, care for all sorts of people, but care for, for the widows in the church. Think of Acts 6 and the appointment of deacons to, to care for the Greek-speaking widows there in the distribution of bread. And so as the gospel then spreads, this biblical law, which is kind of worked out and renewed in, those, in the early church, this is then taken and planted in different places around the Greco-Roman world. So in Ephesus, we find uh, the church as the temple of the living God, there in the shadow of the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. But there the, the church of God is planted in the Greco-Roman world, um, and biblical law is then introduced, and it's very countercultural, um, because in, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, care for the poor and care for poor widows, it just was not a feature, really, in Greco-Roman society. So care for one's own parents might be an important virtue, uh, but not care for the poor generally. Um, you sort of, in, in that culture, you, you give to people who can give back, and you certainly don't care for other people's uh, parents, you know, if you were if you were poor and needy, that was a sign that the gods had it in for you, basically. And so there's this this great conflict here as Paul is laying out, is is applying the, um, the the fifth commandment and he's applying it in their lives. So this community, which had been filled with people who come from that Greco-Roman world, they're learning um, how to live as God's people in God's household. This is uh, the Lord is discipling the nations, isn't he? He's teaching them and training them. And then that did, it transformed 
the, the ancient world over time. So these communities of Christians grew and developed. Um, and there's a, there's a famous quote by um, G uh, Julian the Apostate, who's the last Roman Empire before, before Constantine, who when, when the Roman Empire sort of converted to, to Christianity. Um, and he, he complains that basically the, the Christians, these impious Galileans, are showing up uh, the Romans, because they, they not only care for their own people, but for ours as well. So this, this care of the church was becoming famous, and those even in the Greco-Roman culture were going, wow, look, look what they're doing. So this is all unusual in that cultural context. So um, the basic principle there, he, he, he enunciates in verse 4 and onwards, is that uh, children are to look after their parents. So you see that, verse 4. If a widow has children, grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and so make some return to their parents. This is pleasing in the sight of God. So children, grandchildren, relatives, and extended family have the duty in the first place to care for their own. And they're to make a return on their parents. It's the language of investment. Now, children need to listen to this. So, so your parents, as they raise you, it's an investment. They're investing time and care, and, and they're going to be looking at something for a return on that investment later on in life. It's the language of investment, isn't it? Um, and yet, then, he speaks of the one who is truly a widow, left all alone, uh, setting a hope on God, and continuing supplication and prayers night and day. This, uh, so the, the ones he's distinguishing between is those who have no other means of support, who's found themselves outside of any family uh, structure, um, and the, 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 the civil government at that time, the Caesars, there was no safety net uh, there. So the, the Romans were sometimes famous for their um, bread and circuses, weren't they, and sort of giving gifts. But that was more about manipulating the population rather than care for the poor. That was so that you gain and maintain uh, political power. It wasn't about care for the poor. Um, so this, um, so he's, um, Paul is saying that actually uh, the, the family in the first instance are, are the, the ones who have the duty of care. But then actually the church, he will then say, uh, the church is then the safety net for those who are truly widows. And then verse 6, he talks about um, she who is self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. And we sort of, uh, Paul here draws attention to, to the um, so some ungodly women. And we rather sort of come, come to earth with a bump here. Um, and we know that um, old sort of older people are not automatically wise and godly. It's not that the the passage of time in itself makes us wise and godly. Uh, and Paul here, he makes a distinction between what the Victorians might have called the deserving and the undeserving poor here. So he is distinguishing these things as, as we go through to see uh, where there are genuine needs and where there are sort of needs which are not actually genuine. And Paul is wanting to guard the church from taking on people who, who actually don't need its help. And he's wanting to sort of turn that, that help back over to the families. And so he wants to get the relatives to step up. In verse 7, command these things as well so that they, that is uh, the families, the relatives, may be without reproach. And then verse 8, it's a very strong verse, I think. If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, for literally for his own, 
and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And his point is that while many unbelievers were caring for their own parents and, and their relatives, um, so that even those who, who are unbelievers who have the law written on their hearts are doing this. So if a believer who has the law of God fails to do this, this is actually worse than the unbelievers. And it's very challenging. But I think he's not talking about those who, who cannot provide for their relatives because of illness or because of some other circumstances. But really, he's speaking to those who have the capacity and just need a prod, just need an encouragement to do this. And there's this duty of care um, that is, is broader, as he's talking about it, than his own immediate family. He distinguishes between care for relatives, or his own, and members of his own household. So he's drawing the, the net slightly wider than um, care for parents. It might be care for, for others as well, just um, other relatives who have got no one else to, to look after them. So Paul thinks that those uh, that the relatives also um, should be cared for by the families and extended families. Well, so that's that first uh, paragraph, which really is an application and extension of that fifth commandment, honour your, your parents. Um, and I think most of us are probably aware, aren't we, of that need. We've heard this, this teaching before. We're, we're aware of our need to be supporting a, uh, our parents. And, and then maybe we need to think about how we, that care might need to be extended to, to other relatives and aunts and people who are just uncles and those in need. Um, and one of the things as a church we, we want to be doing is just praying for each other and supporting each other as we seek to be caring for those in our wider, broader family circles. And for, for young people, one of the things that you need to be thinking about as, you, as you're growing up, as you're learning new skills, as you're learning to cook, as you're learning to drive, as you're learning to um, make money and, and working out a career, one of the things you need to think about is that um, the Lord gives us these opportunities and trains us up, and our parents train us up, so that we can then uh, be caring for other people, so that we can be using those skills to actually care and serve other people. And often that's not the message you always get, certainly in the school system. It's, it's often about um, your own success and your own status and your own self-fulfillment. But actually, as we learn different skills and learn different things, God gives us this so that we can then actually be useful in our families, in our communities, and serving in different ways. So that's something to be thinking about as you grow up and your parents will be training you in. Um, so that's that, that, just that first paragraph. And then moving on to the second uh, paragraph, uh, which has got some interesting material in it. It's talking about these widows being enrolled. So there's a, there's a list. Um, and then some interesting stuff later about um, those who are drawn away by their past, drawn away from Christ. And it seems to make sense of what's happening here and what it means to be enrolled upon this list is that Paul's not simply talking about uh, those who are um, eligible for a kind of welfare from the church and the distribution of bread, but also it, it seems to be talking about actually uh, um, those who are enrolled on the list, also those who will then serve in various ways, experienced godly women who then serve in the church, serve with the afflicted. It's this 
it's like a religious order. It's a, a sort of order of, uh, of godly older women in the church. So to be enrolled on the list is more, I think, than simply uh, receiving welfare. And I think that makes sense of some of these later verses as we, as we look at them. So let's just look at the, these verses. Um, it's saying, um, got to be 60, and we'll come back to that um, later. So, um, but then he says, uh, the wife of one husband, just as if you remember back to the, uh, the, the elder has to be the husband of one wife, and this is the, the flip side here. And Paul, he's talking about marital fidelity here. Um, he's, he's not ruling out remarriage. He's actually encouraging remarriage, as we see. Uh, but he's wanting to enroll uh, faithful, godly women. And then he just lists some examples of good works. And this is it's not a, a checklist, but these are just examples. So it says, um, if she's brought up children, that these were not necessarily her, her own children. The church became famous for taking on abandoned children. And uh, people would commonly in the ancient world leave their children um, to, to, to exposure and death. And the church would, would scoop them up. Um, and so uh, she, and this, uh, here's a, a godly older woman who's brought up children, maybe her own, maybe her own and others, or just others, um, and shown hospitality, this love of strangers, and has washed the feet of the saints. And this is um, humble works, really. Remember the Lord Jesus, who stooped down to serve and, and put that, that towel around him and just did that lowly work of a slave. And so here is a godly older woman who's been devoted to those unseen humble works. This is the sort of the equivalent would be, you know, cleaning out the shower after you've had visitors for the umpteenth time, and, and you know, no one notices you doing that. But these are just humble works that people devote themselves to, which are of great value in God's sight. Washed the feet of the saints, um, cared for the afflicted. Um, so, uh, caring for uh, elderly relatives and um, taking them to the to, to, for medical care for the umpteenth time, these, this sorts of thing, which make up, in many ways, so much of life. Um, and devoted herself to every good work. I think of my mother at this point, who um, had more aunts than Bertie Wooster, and um, would have to just care, spend a lot of time caring for elderly relatives. And uh, the, fam the Putney aunts became famous in our home. And she gave herself to, to many good works, and you will know those things. And the, the church is just filled with people anonymously working away, isn't it? We know a few, we know the names of a few, um, um, few great theologians, we remember them. But the Lord sees all these humble, good works which were done in his service and are precious in his sight. And so that's the, the, the sort of godly woman who ought to be uh, enrolled on this list. But then Paul is very careful to guard this from various possible abuses. So verse uh, 11 onwards, he said, look, refuse to enroll younger widows. Uh, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So it seems like in, enrolling on this list in the first place involves taking some kind of vow or making some kind of commitment to serve Christ as an unmarried woman. Because otherwise, why on earth would you incur condemnation for desiring to marry um, unless you've made some specific commitment to serve within the church in this way? 
And this, interestingly, I thought this was interesting, this, this command is the root of some of the religious orders in the church. But what happened was that though Paul sets the, the age limit at 60, and then by the Council of Nicaea, by sort of 325, they've, they've dropped the age limit to 40, and then later on in church history, they drop it again until you have religious orders which are taking on um, women to a sort of monastic orders and making vows of celibacy and men doing the same, which is ex exactly, it's interesting, it's exactly contrary to Paul's explicit instructions to do that. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, so he's, he's said in this that those who um, forbid marriage, they're, they're peddling the, the doctrine of demons, and then people take this and have twisted that. Um, but, but positively, he sees this, um, this order for these, these older godly women who've got great experience and are to be honored in that, in the church, are to be, those gifts and skills are to be used. And I think we have to remember that just social care, hospice care, all those sorts of things tended to be within the household. You know, Ephesus didn't have this great health service of, of any kind. So a lot of those, these cares would be this sort of practical task, caring for the afflicted, caring for the dying. The church was uh, developing all these things, was in the forefront of these things, didn't just want to leave people to be abandoned and, and to die. So, so the church was really at the forefront of that, and there were these uh, women who were financially supported in these things. And I, I mean, you may have different experience in church. I can think of church experience where some, some, of, the, some of the older women who have served on, on the mission field and done various things actually were, did have a measure of financial support from the church in recognition of uh, their, their work and just simply to make sure that they were, were properly cared for. So, so Paul is he's sort of laying this out, but then he's, he's guarding this against uh, the various uh, abuses. Um, and then verse 14, he says, you know, I'd have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households. Um, and there's a few things which I think are, are interesting here. Firstly, you know, he'd have them marry. Well, you think, well, there's a, there seems to be a reasonably good stock of godly Christian men in Ephesus. So they you know, had the opportunity to, to do that, it seems. Um, and it says, yeah, manage their households. And I think, um, again, we need to sort of think back to that ancient context a bit more because the household in that in the ancient world was it was the department of welfare it was the department of education it was the department of trade and industry as well so actually managing your household was a was a big task with a lot of responsibility and it wasn't about uh, sort of leaving the workforce and sort of the, the work existed in the ancient world it was largely in households um, so it's not demeaning in any way, but uh, a lot of hard work. But he's, he's wanting them really to have productive, useful labor rather than to be supported, verse 13, and then idlers going about house to house. And then you know, going from house to house, but not in a good way, and taking the news of what's going on this house to this house and those temptations. So that is something about what is going on here. So Paul is he's careful to, to guard against different kinds of abuses, uh, but he wants these older godly women to be supported and also to use their gifts in service of the church. And, and that, is, um, that is something that we will need to, to, to work through as we grow as, as, as a congregation, as we develop. So, if we draw to a, uh, a close here, what is, uh, what is the charge for us as we reflect on these things and as we think about them? 
Well, the main charge, I think, is, is the, just a reminder there of the fifth commandment, honor father and mother, and that is uh, enough for us to be thinking about and praying through as how we are to do that and to support each other in that. Um, and then I think strikingly sort of connected with that and in extension from that is just this call to practical godliness and practical holiness. How much of what Paul is saying is just practical godliness in the home and looking after people and, and caring for the afflicted and how much of this is filled with, simply it's filled with good works and these are good things and they're often uh, neglected things in our society. And so uh, there's, an, there's an encouragement for us here to, in a way, it's not difficult to understand how to put some of these things into practice. You know, we need to go home and get lunch on the table, and then we need to get up and go to work in the morning, and then, and then we need to do all these acts of practical uh, godliness um, in our households. And our prayer is uh, that God would be building up the church here uh, in Gloucester, and that over time, as God adds to our number, uh, as he adds to us, that we'd actually have a greater capacity to be caring for other people, to be caring for the needs, to, to welcome the lonely, to welcome those in need and those um, who yeah, don't have, or far from home, don't have sort of family of their own around or international students or whatever, that we might actually be just built together, built up, and then have the capacity for love and care. And as we're, we're building up, we're trying to get our finances organized as a church, trying to get sort of deacons fund set up, and all these very practical things are things of, well, New Testament spirituality. These are not the unspiritual things that we shouldn't worry about. They're the nuts and bolts of, well, of church life, and the nuts and bolts uh, of family life, of just very practical. Um, but in case we get lost down here in the weeds, we do need to sort of look up and remember 1 Timothy, and um, just remember that, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It's ultimately the risen Lord Jesus Christ who provides for his church. So if you sort of zoom out and think again with the book of Acts, and this amazing community where there was care and love and they were able to work through their problems and uh, what was driving that, what was enabling that, well, it was because the Lord Jesus Christ died, rose, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, poured out gifts, poured out blessings on his church. I like to think of the feeding of the 5,000s. The, the, the disciples were like going, well, should we send them away? How can we, how can we cope with this? Uh, and he's, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. But who ultimately provided? Who was the Lord who provided? It was the Lord. They looked to him and he provided. So at the end of this, we think of all the practical needs. We're apt to be overwhelmed and think, oh, I can't do that. But what do we need? Where do we need to look? We need to look to the risen ascended, reigning Lord Jesus Christ, who can provide for the needs of our own families, and then, by God's grace, let's look to him to, for that to overflow to others. Um, so that is, it's, it's to the Lord we need to look for his grace and his provision. And how needy is our community, and how needy is Gloucester? What great needs there are. How many people are just isolated and lonely? and afflicted and discouraged. And so we just, we just pray, aren't we, for God to be opening doors to the gospel that we'd be able to, in small ways, baby steps, to bring blessing. But we look to the Lord to be bringing that increase and to be blessing us and using our rather feeble efforts and faltering efforts for his glory. So let's pray before we sing together.
You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S, dot co, dot U-K. For more, thank you.